0: It's 11 minutes before the hour. You're listening to Raven Radio, KCAW Sitka. Today is Friday, September 11, 2020. I'm Aaron Fulton with Raven News. A customer at Sitka's Wells Fargo was robbed Wednesday morning. The Sitka Police Department received a call at 8:42 a.m. from a bank employee that someone had stolen $220 out of a customer's hand while he was standing at the ATM in the Wells Fargo lobby. The customer said it happened quickly and he couldn't recall exactly how the theft occurred, according to Sitka police officer Jason Christner. No one was injured during the incident, but the customer was taken to the hospital after complaining of early signs of a heart attack, Christner said. Wells Fargo employees and police used footage from the bank's security cameras to identify the suspect. Two hours later, police arrested 20-year-old Moses Ali Jarqueen in the ANB Harbor parking lot. Jarqueen faces a felony charge for theft, a misdemeanor drug charge, and a misdemeanor charge for violating conditions of release, following previous arrests for theft and criminal trespass earlier this spring and summer. A preliminary hearing is scheduled for October 12th. As the summer winds down, Alaska is seeing a decrease in the rate of new coronavirus infections across the state. But it doesn't mean the pandemic is ending. Far from it. Alaska's top medical team is urging residents to remain diligent heading into fall and winter, to resist widespread misinformation about the virus, and to hold fast against mounting fatigue over the pandemic. KCAW's Robert Woolsey reports.
1: Over the last week, the number of non-resident infections in Alaska has dropped significantly to only one or zero per day. This doesn't mean we've whipped COVID-19 in Alaska. It means that the fishing season has just about wrapped up, and seafood processors and other essential industries that imported workers in the summer are sending them home. Alaska residents are still becoming infected at around 100 new cases per day. Coleman Cutchins, a pharmacist with Alaska's Department of Health and Social Services, says he's concerned about widespread misinformation about the pandemic on social media. You know we're hearing more and more about oh i don't trust the cdc i don't trust the fda but i trust this youtube video i just watched on facebook um, so just understanding that these are reliable sources um, and also with that the understanding that you know most diseases when we come up with treatment recommendations and guidelines we have a decade or so studying them to come up with those recommendations with COVID, we've had to come up with them really fast so even use hydroxychloroquine for the exa- from the example, you know, early on there was some evidence that it could be beneficial. You know, if you look back in February, the FDA gave it an EUA. Uh, look back in uh, March, they said they cautioned about that EUA, and then they pulled that EUA about a month later. Um, what that meant is they made the initial recommendation on limited evidence, but as evidence panned out, it changed. EUA is an emergency use authorization. Cutchins and other members of the department's coronavirus hub team discussed the role misinformation plays in the fight against the pandemic, among other topics, in their weekly forum with the state's media. Dr. Joe McLaughlin, the head of the Alaska section of epidemiology, pushed back against misinformation promoted by the White House and elsewhere that COVID-19 was of little risk to children. You know, I think one of the other big misperceptions is that uh, children and young adults don't get severely ill from COVID, and that's just not true. They can. There have been quite a number of uh, pediatric hospitalizations and deaths. On the other end of the spectrum, McLaughlin offered information that used to be considered incorrect, but now appears true, that masks protect both the wearers and those around them. There's good evidence now to suggest that if you're exposed to less of the virus, you're at decreased chance for getting a more serious uh, infection because it's a lot easier for your body to fight off a small amount of the virus than it is to fight off a large amount of the virus right away. The speed that everything is moving and the variability of the official recommendations has contributed to a lack of faith by some members of the public. The Hub team seems to get this, They're asking Alaskans to be responsive to the best information available at the moment. The state's chief medical officer, Dr. Ann Zink, says it's meant to be enlightening, not frightening.
0: I think in medicine, we've really moved to this kind of different place of shared decision making with patients over the last 10 years, um, where, you know, here's my information and what's there. And I think the same thing is happening in public health right now, where we have lots of citizen scientists who are actively engaged. And so us sharing this information is not to scare people, isn't to frighten people. It's to there to just provide information so that people are informed.
1: Zink said that much of the state's fight against the pandemic hasn't been obvious to the public, ramping up the testing capacity of the state lab from 300 to 3,000 tests per day, developing a digital network to track data, and preparing for the eventual introduction of a COVID vaccine. She wants Alaskans to hang tough.
0: I think fatigue of COVID is huge. And so what ways can we engage the public on uh, making sure they still get tested if they have symptoms? Um, What ways can we make sure that we're still uh, taking this seriously? I think we're in this like, I, I keep feeling like this is like, you know, the dark before the dawn, like we we still have fall and winter to get through, but there's a lot of hope on the front uh, on the horizon, but we got to get through this winter. And so how do we keep up that strength? And so there's a lot of conversation happening uh, around that.
1: Reporting in Sitka, I'm Robert Woolsey.
0: Petersburg's borough government will ask the state to seek a disaster declaration for the economic losses from a dismal salmon season this summer. The numbers are not yet final, but a combination of low prices and low returns has the summer of 2020 shaping up to be one of the worst in decades. KFSK's Jovic Nicky reports.
2: The numbers of salmon caught in the region this summer are some of the worst since Alaska became a state. As far as the net fisheries go in southeast, the net fisheries being the driftdale net fishery and the purse seine fishery, we are looking at some all-time lows for Uh, salmon harvested in those fisheries. Troy Tinas is the Alaska Department of Fish and Games Region 1 Management Coordinator for Commercial Fisheries. The pink salmon harvest looks like it will be the lowest since 1976. The chum catch is looking like it could be the lowest in three decades as well. And the region's sockeye harvest could finish around 100,000 fish total among the lowest in decades. Tina says prices have also dropped since last year, especially for pinks, chums, and sockeye. By the end of August, his early estimates put the value of the purse seine catch region wide at just $8 million and the gillnet catch total at just $7 million. The recent 10 year average for the seine ex vessel value is about $73.5 million. So this year's harvest or ex vessel value of $8 million is is considerably less than that. And then the gillnet uh, ex vessel value. The recent 10-year average is about 27.4 million, and right now we're looking at around 7 million. Um, again, very preliminary, and we still have ongoing fisheries, so these these numbers will change. For further comparison, the total value of the salmon harvest last year topped 101 million dollars. The year before, 133 million. Casey Flint is president of Petersburg Economic Development Council. That board, in late August, voted to send a letter supporting Petersburg's request. I think this will have a huge rippling effect on the economy in town. Um, it's just less money circulating in town. It's less landing taxes. The fishing industry is just a cornerstone of our economy here, and when the fishing fleet suffers, the uh, the whole town is going to follow right along. So. The PEDC letter says the economic impact will be felt by fishermen, seafood processing companies, and companies that support the fleet along with the municipality. Petersburg's Borough Assembly this month voted to send a letter to Governor Mike Dunleavy and the state's Commerce, Community, and Economic Development Commissioner, Julie Anderson. It asks the state to gather data on economic losses and request a declaration from U.S. Commerce Secretary Wilbur Ross. It also asks the congressional delegation to pursue disaster relief money. The letter also highlights tariffs on seafood that China has imposed in response to U.S. tariffs, and it singles out imports from Russia while exports to Russia from the U.S. are embargoed. The letter says both factors have hurt prices for Alaska's catch. Assemblymember Jeff Mucci had heard some critical feedback about the tone of the letter. You know, we have our hand out again. I don't think we can continually ask the federal government to bail us out year after year here. He wanted the letter to reflect market pressures on dive fisheries and other parts of the local economy. Nevertheless, he voted to send the letter along with the other four assembly members at this month's meeting. The assembly also had a brief discussion about requesting research funding for Southeast salmon and herring stocks. Meanwhile, the U.S. Department of Agriculture this week announced $530 million in relief payments for fishermen impacted by tariffs. The last disaster declaration that included southeast Alaska fisheries was in 2016. That's when pink salmon returns were low around the Gulf of Alaska. But the region's catch of pinks that year was over 15 million fish, more than twice the expectation for this year's tally. Other communities may also seek a fisheries disaster declaration. The governor's office says so far it's received only one other request from Chignik. In Petersburg, I'm Joe Vignicki.
0: Taking a look at the community calendar. Bow hunters planning on attending the upcoming Alaska Department of Fish and Game Wildlife Conservation Team's Bow Hunter Field Day are required to first complete the class and test online before attending the event in person. The field day is 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. Saturday, October 10th at Sitka Sportsman's Association. The course provides training in wildlife conservation techniques, safety, outdoor preparedness, and being a responsible bow hunter and is open to the public. The lifetime certificate earned is valid for bow hunting in all 50 states and several foreign countries. The cost is $30. You can register for the class at bowhunter ed.com slash Alaska. Those with questions can call 747 54 the 4-H Cycling to Safety Every Other Week series for those age 8 to 12 able to ride on their own begins at 1 p.m. Friday, September 11th. Road and trail safety, bike maintenance, working with bike tools, and skills courses are covered. The class is free to 4-H members. Registration is required and limited to six youth. For more information, email emily at SitkaWild.org. I'm Erin Fulton, and this has been Raven News.